Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Once again, we are in the book of James, also known as Hi, who? What? Jaime? I had a I had a hamster named Jaime. Somebody say Jaime. And so this, that one died and got eight, I think, by the cat. So I got another one. Guess what I named him? I'm a guy. Jaime too. That's right. But actually, that would be. <laughs> I was young. I would probably still do it today. Book of James. That's right. Uh, if you're hooked on the actual Greek, Iacobos, it would literally be Book of Jacob, as we saw before. But uh, it just kind of got changed there in the English transliteration. No big deal. We'll stick with the book of James. And uh, what we saw there, uh, uh, as we get ready to turn there, we're seeing that the book of James was written to the early church, the timing of this book, and it was an acid test uh, to demonstrate uh, true Christianity. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's go ahead and let's read our uh, text today. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. Book of James, chapter 1. Let's read at least the first three verses. What do you guys think? You might have the gift of faith. Apparently, let's just read them. All right, book of James. Uh, uh, let's take a look at the first three verses. What's going on here in this amazing book? Uh, when you get there, say moo. 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 Oh, that's, isn't it nice? Doesn't it just wake you up in the morning? Yeah, whatever. All right, let's take a look. Uh, James, he's a what? He is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did we talked about that before? Put your name in there. That's our attitude. It should be every day. Your name, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm writing this to who? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, he says this first right out of the gates, folks. Consider it what? Absolute anguish. Horrible torture. Where did God go in the midst of this? Why is he taking a vacation from me? Would somebody please send him an email? He's apparently stuck in traffic on the backside of Pluto and he wasn't able to make it here. No, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. Consider pure joy, my brothers, when everything goes your way because life is all about you. It, that's a self-help Bible. Don't get that one either. Uh, uh, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds. Why? Because you know, wait till we get to that word, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking how much? Zero. Nothing, man. You are filled out to the max as a Christian. Again, what we saw so far in our text is that the book of James is an acid test for early Christianity. And we saw that's clear because when you take a look at the timing of the book, it is the first New Testament book that's going out. The church is finally getting dispersed like they're supposed to do. They were stuck in Jerusalem for a long time. They're finally getting dispersed. God raised up persecution for a good reason. They're finally getting out there. And so the last thing that God, under the writing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted the early church to do when they finally went out into the world is to give the world a false impression of what a true Christian and true Christianity and the one and only true gospel is, right? No. We'll lay hands on you later, Bobby. Thank you. And, and so what we saw is he puts forth an acid test. Okay, and this, this book is so amazing when you understand the timing of it and the purpose of it because it's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. It is that, but what it is is an acid test for true Christianity, okay? And if you fail the test, you need to get saved because he doesn't want false Christians going out into the world giving a false impression of Christ or the gospel. Good thing that doesn't happen today. <laughs> yeah, it's being repeated big time, right? 
how much more so do we need to be in this book, okay? And uh, he is trying to thwart Satan's evil plan to pollute the church, okay, to mess up uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to promote a false one. And again, the first one we saw, the first uh, acid test is what we're dealing with. We'll deal with this again today, is the issue of trials. Okay? It's not just you're going to go through trials. It's what is your attitude in trials. And he uses the word there, trials. Here's your acid test. Do you come out of your trials with joy? Okay. Uh, in fact, the Greek really puts the, the pressure on it. It says continual joy. Be continually. Uh, let me read that for you. Be constantly rejoicing is what the Greek says. Not just consider it pure joy. Be constantly rejoicing. Consider it a matter for unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you knowing experientially that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved, having met the test, has been approved, and it produces a patience which bears up and does not lose heart or courage under trials. That's what the Greek literally says there, okay? But it says specifically, be constantly rejoicing. Do you have joy in your trials? Do you still hold on to Jesus in your trials? Why? Because we saw the ultimate example, of course, the hello is Jesus, right? Did he encounter any trials, right? As we all know that as he, we, uh, it's all over the gospels. Jesus was crying and weeping, having a pity party. I want to go through this. The Bible says he endured the cross for the joy set before him and i really think if you're a christian a follower of christ and you truly are a christian means you're going to be indwelt with the holy spirit the spirit of christ then he's going to empower you to do what we cannot normally do and that is to rejoice even in the midst of our trials that's your acid test because if you don't have the spirit of christ you can't pull that off now as we saw it doesn't mean that we're always going to be perfect we're always going to have this perfect joy every single time when we go through trials Part of it is we need to get back on track and understand that God has a great plan and that's what gives us joy and that's what we're going to study uh, today, okay? And the first one that he says, the positive thing uh, that we're going to have in our trial, the first good thing that God's doing that should give us joy is he's going to give you this element, uh, this great gift uh, called perseverance, okay? And what we saw with perseverance is it literally means you are going to become, listen, here's what he's going to do. Here's one positive thing that he lists here that I am doing. This is why you should be joyful is I'm going to give you a gift. I won't even say the word. I'll tell you what it means. I'm going to give you this, okay? For whatever you're going through right now, listen, it, this could be one of the great reasons what God's up to. Hey, listen, I know what I'm doing, okay? You can trust me, okay? And other people might mean it for evil, but I'm allowing it for good. And that good might very well be is I'm going to use this to make you into a complete, mature Christian, locking nothing armed to the teeth. Hey, that's cool. Thank you, God. But see, we don't take God at his word. Because he says that's what he's doing. I'm giving, see, oh, what I just read for, that's perseverance. That's what perseverance is is becoming that complete mature Christian like nothing armed to the teeth that no matter what life throws at you, you're still standing strong praising Jesus moving forward. Now, if we consider, uh, boy, it's gonna be great. And that's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. A couple things that we need to realize there. Uh, the word there in the Greek, uh, many kinds, okay, uh, is a really good word. This is cool. It's a poikilos, okay? Poikilos, I like that. Okay, poikilos. Doesn't that sound like a deep fried southern dish? Hey, Mickey, why don't you bring on over that poiky loss at our next fellowship? That's awesome stuff. I had it with some chips and deep fried is what it is. No, poiky loss. Okay, poiky loss literally means uh, various colors, variegated, uh, diverse sort, various multiple kinds is what it means, poiky loss, okay? James, in other words, what he's saying, this is what we have to understand. Our trials do not come just one way every single time, carbon copy, cookie cutter method. It's the same one every single time. Have you noticed that? And this is what he says. He says, your trials are going to come, poikilos. They're going to come in various sizes. They're going to come in various colors. They're going to come in various uh, uh, shapes and sizes, okay? Therefore, listen, that means, listen, God has good reasons through them all. He isn't just like, well, okay, this, tr this one taught me perseverance and that was good, but this one's coming at me at a different size or a different color, so there's no good in that. It doesn't work that way. God's the one who's sovereign. And he works all things together for good. So what he's saying is, yes, your trials are going to come as poikilos, various sizes, different colors, different shapes. But that also means then, therefore, there's various good reasons why God is allowing these various trials and various shapes. And you see what I'm saying? 
So there's different good things that God is going to do. In fact, he says, you really need to keep this. How do you maintain that joy? How can you get to the point where you don't have just joy once in a while when, when uh, you, you're finally trusting God in his word, seeking his direction in the midst of your infliction? But how can you, because he says it there, he says, be continually rejoicing. Well, I think it's the next word that he uses here in the Greek is the key to keeping this thing together, okay? And it's the word there that he uses called consider, Okay, consider uh, is the Greek word uh, hegemai, and it means to consider, to account, to deem, to think, literally. Listen, this is the key, I believe, to the whole thing. To think forward is literally what it means there. It's not just like, hmm, I ponder this. Okay, consider. It literally means to think forward, okay? So James, I believe he says that, listen, when we do this on a regular basis, not just once in a while, not just as a last resort, this is our knee-jerk reaction. That we think forward to the good reasons why we are in the midst of these trials. Right? It's not just, oh no, I'm in a trial. When you recognize you're in a trial, your first initial knee-jerk reaction is to, okay, God, woo! I don't see it right now, but I'm thinking forward to the good thing that's coming as a result of that. And if you do that, and if you consider that, and if you make that a practice, then guess what? You can't rob your joy. You get it? But see, we don't do that. We don't think forward. We don't, we don't evolve, put God uh, into the equation. And James says, no, that's the first thing you need to do. You need to think forward. You need to look forward to these great things that God is going to do. The second word that pops out here is the Greek word. It says, because we know, okay, that's a neat word. Uh, that's gnosko. Let's say that. Now, that's the pastry that you serve with that poikilos. You know, the gnosko has got that cream-filled thing in it. No, that's a cannoli. That's a cannoli from the East Coast, all right? But a gnosko uh, could be some dessert. Uh, but no, really, it means this. And not just to know. Listen, it means to understand, to perceive. Here's the issue. To have personal knowledge of, all right? So you think forward as a knee-jerk reaction when, not if you face the trial. And then you have a personal knowledge that you absolutely know beyond a shadow of doubt. I've got personal knowledge. How many times have I gone through trials and God, once again, sure enough, took care of me. He's never left me hanging high and dry. And so you combine this, I'm looking forward and I absolutely know, we gnosko, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God's gonna do it again. You see that? You put them two together, it's like, woo, this is exciting. Okay? And that's what we need in the midst of our trial, not after our trial. Have you noticed that? Because usually we have that phrase, hindsight's 2020, right? And we go, well, I should have been joyful because now I get it. Now I see what God was doing. Well, listen, that's not when you need this. You need this in the midst of your trial. You just need to think forward and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God knows what he's doing and this is going to be good. See, we get hung up on the package, don't we? Ew, I don't like that. I don't like flowers and ducks on my package. Ew, that's ugly wrapping. And inside it's a cool socket set, right? But you got turned off by that non-manly package, right? Guys, ladies, you decided you might be, I'll have to flip it around, but I don't have time to keep sharing analogies. We got to move on to the point, right? But see, that's what we do. We get turned Look at this suffering we're going, I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. it there, there can't be anything good inside. Yes, there can. God says there is. You need to think forward to that and trust him and know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't care if there's even flying pigs on that package. There's something good inside. And I can't wait for the day when God says, okay, watch this. Now open it up. You see what I'm saying? We have to look with the eyes of faith, think forward, know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Thank you, God. I don't see it now. I don't feel it now. I don't have the answers now. But I thank you that you are sovereign and that there's something good inside this package for me. And just even saying that, it starts to what? It brings the joy. See, only Christians can do that. And that's his acid test. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you can't do that. First of all, you're probably not even gonna be in the word, okay, in the Bible to even know this. Okay, but that's the supernatural work of the Spirit as he brings that alive uh, in your heart, okay? So he says this, he says uh, to consider, uh, you need to know this, uh, and he says it's gonna be poikilos, it's gonna be various trials, which means you're gonna have various reasons. So uh, let's take a look at some of the various reasons why God allows trials to come to certainly not only strengthen us, encourage us to make us into those strong, mighty Christians, but also to demonstrate that we've passed the test. Okay, we're true Christians, okay? Perseverance is one of them. Uh, another one that I've learned uh, that God is doing, uh, if you will, is to expose 
is to expose our sin nature. What? Why would God want to do that? Well, Paul learned the same thing. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Okay. Romans chapter 7. Let's take a look here. And uh, if you find Romans, what do you do? Chapter 7, right on. You guys are awesome. Romans chapter 7. And uh, verse 7, Paul talks about struggling with sin. Okay. In the classic passage here. And he says this. He says, now, what shall we say then? Is, is the law sin? <laughs> Certainly not. Are you kidding me? Great. No, Woo, wipe that off your tongue. In other words, is what he's saying there. No way. He says, indeed, listen, I would not have known what sin was except through the what? For the law. For I would not have known what uh, uh, coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Okay, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Okay, can I translate that for you? Paul thought he had it going. He was a happening guy. Okay, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says elsewhere. Okay, and he was following the law. But the problem, it's not that the law is unrighteous. It's that we don't have the ability to keep the law. Okay, we might be able to keep some of it, but we can't keep all of it. And the scripture says, if you break any of it, you're still a lawbreaker. That's the point. The law was the tutor to lead us to Christ, to show us that we need somebody to save us because here's the dilemma. God is holy, we are not. See, the Jewish people thought, well, I'm gonna, make my, I'm gonna prove myself holy just like God 100% by following all these things. You can't do it. And Paul thought he was doing pretty good, but apparently the one thing that popped out was covetousness, right? The sin of that. You don't hear much about that today. Because that would go against our economy. We've got to keep buying stuff and never be satisfied with what we got. We've got to have more, more, more. Yeah, okay, but anyway, I digress. Uh, let's move on. Uh, and so Paul says, listen, he says, I thought I was doing fine, but all of a sudden I read this commandment that says, don't do this. So what does our flesh nature want to do as soon as somebody says, don't do this? Oh, yeah. I'll do it anyway. And so that's what Paul was saying, okay? So what happened was God allowed Paul to be confronted with his uh, truth. Why? So that Paul could see inside what he couldn't see before. Paul, you got a problem inside. Paul, okay, you're not perfect. Paul, there's something you need to work on. Okay, and it's a good thing we never play those games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. We think, man, here's what, here's what I really think. One of the great things God's doing in the midst of our trials, okay? Not just perseverance. Is listen, he's trying to get us to own up to some things that we thought, hey, we got it going. We're pretty cool. I mean, see, it, when everything's going our way, right? We think that we got this sin thing mastered as Christians. Why, aren't people fortunate just to shake our hand? Maybe the anointing will rub off on them too, and they'll be so awesome. We, we think we got it going, man. We got it. This is awesome. We're walking around like this. And so you know what God does? He sees everything. Right? We all got stuff to work on, myself included. So what's he do? He allows some trials to come. And guess what happens? <laughs> Here comes the flesh. Raises its ugly head. And, and that, that's not, God doesn't condone that, but he's, it's just like we're, it's in hiding. We've convinced ourselves that we're okay. And so God uses that to bring it out so we have an opportunity. Are you going to deal with it now? Maybe you aren't so, can you get off your high horse now? Right? You, you always got something to work on. Okay. And that's what he does. Uh, one of my favorite analogies of this is a true story. And the guy said that it's actually a tactic they used during the war, okay, to get the enemy to come out so they could take him out. Uh, listen to this. It's a, a Christian brother in China shares the following story of an encounter he had during the war with Japan. He said, during the first three months of the Japanese war in China, we lost a great many of tanks. And so we were unable to deal with the Japanese armor until the following scheme was advised. A single shot would be fired at a Japanese tank by one of our snipers in the ambush. Just pew. Okay. And as we all know, that's exactly what it sounded like. Pew. Yeah, whatever. Uh, after a considerable lapse uh, of time, the first shot would be followed by a second one. Thank you, man. Audience participation is rough today. Uh, then after a further silence, another shot. Yeah, much better. Until the tank driver, listen, eager to locate the source of the disturbance, would pop his head out and look around. True story. The next shot, carefully aimed, would put an end to him. They couldn't go up against the tank. There was no way. It's impossible. They just did something to annoy the tank driver's head to pop out. And it says this, as long as he remained undercover, he was perfectly safe. The whole scheme was devised to bring him out into the open. Now, can I tell you something? 
When the shots of life, when trials, as James says, come flying at you and I, lots of times our flesh is tricked out to go, what's going on? What? How can this happen? (laughs) So then the Holy Spirit goes, gotcha. He's not condoning it. He saw it. And so he's, he's tricking it to come out in the open that we thought we were so cool, the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? And he says, no, I got some stuff to work on. But we don't own up to it. So he allows these things to force it to come up with. So then it becomes an opportunity for us to go, yeah, God, I need help in that area. Thank you. Okay, now is God being a big old giant meanie for allowing that to happen? No, because have you noticed that the more that we get rid of the sin and the junk in our hearts, in our lives, in our walk with Jesus Christ, the stronger we get, the more joy we experience, the, 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 the greater the fruit it seems to be that God begins to produce and do through us. And isn't that what we pray for? Yeah. So, so knowing this, thinking forward, considering this, and knowing absolutely experientially that this is something awesome that God's doing, hey, that gives you joy, doesn't it? That's just, that's just two reasons. The next one is this one. This one I think is pretty obvious, the third one. All right, how many of you guys are going to pray for the gift of interpretation? Because this is getting pretty messed up here. Uh, this is uh, spiritually lazy. Man, I'm so glad that never happens to us. Yeah, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Judges, talk about action book. I mean, you want to make a guy, uh, guy show, guy movie? Uh, do the book of Judges, man. That's like, that's like that's all the action heroes at uh, once uh, would need to pull this book off. Lots of cool stuff going on here. Um, Joshua, Judges, chapter 2. And we're going to read a sad story, though. Because you got Joshua, you got all kinds of action. The second generation's finally going into the promised land. They're finally doing what God called them to do. Victories, battles, I mean, these, no, nothing can stop them because they're trusting God. And boy, is that a message today. Trusting God, moving forward, and God's giving victory after victory after victory after victory. He's doing what he said he was going to do. Okay, and then all of a sudden, the next generation came along. Mm-hmm, that's right. The spirit of Astro is all over you, brother. Okay, and uh, <laughs> this is a new one for me. That's good, we're working. This is Vegas, you know, I like it. Okay, but uh, Judges chapter 2. Unfortunately, the next generation... Listen to what they do. Judges chapter two. Uh, then let's start with verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to their what? The judges. But what they do? They prostituted themselves to the other gods and worshiped them. Unlike uh, their fathers, they quickly, not just turned away, they quickly turned away uh, in which their fathers had walked the way of obedience uh, to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them. He was with the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them and they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways, listen, even more corrupt than those of their fathers. Following their other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, God was really pleased with them. Oh, I'm sorry, he was very angry with them, okay? But this is over and over. If you read through the book of Judges, this is the same sad story. After Joshua, with all the victories, all the great things taking place, here comes Judges, and it's the same sad story. Uh, uh, people, God would raise up a judge. He would save them, yeah! But as soon as that guy died, they went right back to the evil ways. God would, out of discipline, allow some hardships to come uh, to motivate them to seek him again. And so he'd have compassion on them. He'd raise up another judge. And he'd sure enough save them out of the hands of the enemies. All things were great. As long as the guy was alive, the moment he was dead, immediately they went back into the sinful ways. They cried out to God. And good thing we never do that. You know, because, uh, you know, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And we're so thankful for everything he's done. Hey, the last thing we ever want to do is go back into the world. Right? And that we are a rock steady. We are so thankful for him raising up a judge, Jesus Christ, to save us from this myth. No way are we going backwards. Unfortunately, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Okay, and we resort backwards. And, and so what happens is we get this issue going on. We become spiritually lazy. Okay, and I think that's what happened uh, with the Israelites. Okay, we get spiritually lazy. And so what, what does God do? He arouses uh, some troubles. He, he brings up some enemies. He brings up some issues to get us uh, motivated again to seek him. Okay? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we, we should seek God at all times, right, Christian? Yes, that's the right answer. All right, but, but unfortunately, we get sidetracked. We get spiritually lazy, okay? And then God will raise up some trials, and if we're honest with ourselves, when's some of the best times we've ever had prayer? 
When's the most uh, uh, times when we've been dedicated to coming to church services, not just Sunday? I'm, what, what, which ones can I come to? Oh, help me. We're so dedicated, man, we don't skip nothing. When's, when do we usually do that? During hard times. And then when sure enough, God has compassion on us as his children, even today, and, and things calm down, the trial goes away, his provision's there. Man, we stay steadfast, we just keep it going, we don't start skipping, we don't do... Hey, let's just move on. Next one. No, yeah. Johnny Erickson Todd, you guys familiar with her? Oh, listen to what she says about uh, God allowing difficulties for a great reason. She said, in God's wisdom and love, every trial, not just one, not just two, not just some of them, Every trial in a Christian's life is ordained from eternity past, custom made for that believer's eternal good, even when it doesn't seem like it. Well, that sounds like, and this is the lady who's, if you don't know, she's a, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair and has been there for decades, still serving Jesus Christ with joy. So I think she speaks with some volume here, with some authority, if you will. Uh, even if it doesn't seem like it, nothing happens by accident, not even tragedy, not even the sins committed against us. Well, that sounds like somebody who's considering this, looking forward, knowing that God has a good plan even through this circumstance. She said, our pain, our poverty, our broken hearts, that's not God's ultimate focus. He cares about them, but they're merely symptoms of the real problem. God cares most, not listen about making us comfortable, but about teaching us to hate our sins, grow up spiritually, and to love him. And listen to this lady thinking forward. Every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened. We will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials that he sent us here. And she said, this is not Disneyland. This is the truth. Now that's what we need when we go through trials, right? It's that mindset. I think that's what James is saying. I think that's what she's got and what she's demonstrating vocally. Listen, you've got to get it through your head. You have to consider this. You have to think forward. You have to gnosko. You have to know experientially beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's absolutely what God is doing. That's how you make it through, okay? And knowing that God is producing uh, uh, that in us and knowing that God is protecting us from becoming spiritually lazy, which is when we start to get into trouble in our walk with Jesus Christ, he's protecting us from that by allowing these trials. Hey, that's a good thing, right? Hey, it's starting to get hard to just slap that smile on my face, man. That's, that's three reasons right off the gate, and we're just getting started. The next one, I believe, somewhere down here, let's, let's just go down here, uh, is God is using us to be a blessing to other people. He'll allow you to go through something to be a blessing to other people. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, awesome passage. I remember this was the passage God brought me to that very next day, right after my car got ripped off at Bible college. The next day, popped up, Bible open, bang, 1 Corinthians 1. Oh, God, I'm, man, come on, in Bible college? I can see it at 7-Eleven or something. No offense to 7-Eleven. Uh, I got good slurpees out here. But, uh, <laughs> but what? We're serving you, Jesus. How could that happen, man? Somebody ripped off a car Whoa. You know, in the parking lot, in the Bible college. So Anyway, so here it is. Here's the passage. Uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, verse uh, four, he says this, I always thank God uh, because of you. Um, uh, excuse me, second Corinthians would absolutely help better. Pray, uh, verse three, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because what kind of a God is he? He's a father of compassion and the God of not just some, all comfort. Now that's a key word. That'll go back into our uh, last point with getting spiritually lazy. I think sometimes the reason why we get spiritually lazy is because even in sometimes we get spiritually lazy in our trials because we're convinced that the comfort we need is going to come from something in the world. Right? Because that's what the world banks on. Did you know that the world cashes in on our spiritual laziness and sin? Right? Because what's the world say? When you're going through a hard time, what do you do? Well, you need to go take a trip to the Bahamas. That'll fix everything. Right? Well, you know what you need to do? You need to just treat yourself. You've had a rough month. You need to go buy a new car. That'll fix it all. All right? You know what you need to do? I tell you what. You've been having some hard times. Why don't you just go, you go, you know, just go get a new wardrobe. You know, just get a new look. And that's, that's what you need. That's how you're going to. And the preacher's gone to meddling already this early in the morning. Right? But, what, but God is the God of all comfort. I see this happen so many times 
with, with Christians, uh, and it's just like, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, of all, you're, we're supposed to see God at all times, man. He is the source of our comfort. Yes, you're going through this trial, but you need to think forward. You need to consider he knows what he's doing and seek him and, and seek him for comfort. He knows how to keep you strong and comfort you in the midst of your pain. He sees it all. He knows. He knows what a painful life on earth is all about. He knows. Go to him. Seek him. Oh, no. And they go off and they seek comfort in something else. And it makes it doubly worse. But he says, I'm the, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our trials just for us. Because it's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. No, uh, it's uh, for all of our troubles so that we, listen, can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Has anybody noticed that, that God doesn't let anything go to waste? Right? I've even noticed, at least me personally, how I believe that God didn't even let the stuff that I went through before I got saved go to waste. What I call the pre-Jesus days. When I was involved in all the drugs and the immorality and the occult and all that kind of demonic stuff that I was involved in. Hey, I, I never would wish that on somebody. But even that, I've noticed that God is using for the comfort of other people. People, hey, Pastor Billy. They always come in sheepish when they come in with this, these questions. Uh, I, I'd like to talk to you about... Uh, Something kind of sort of spiritual I've been going through. That's not good. Oh, let me guess. It's a demonic warfare. Yeah, really? You don't think I'm crazy? <laughs> no, I've been there, done that. Let's talk. Really? Because 98% of Christians and other people I've talked to, they look at me like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that stuff. And that's unfortunate because last time I checked, demons are real and they still exist. But nobody wants to talk about it. Well, hey, I've been there, done that. Saw them with my own eyes and dealt with that and I was infested with them. I truly believe because I used to ask them in the new age to come inside and speak through me and all that stuff. And so I wasn't just oppressed. I believe I was multiply possessed. But praise God, now I know the answer. His name is Jesus, right? And when he comes inside you, all that stuff goes away and they never come back. They'll externally oppress you, but they're never inside you again. Uh, Holy Spirit's not gonna share room with a demon, hello, okay? And so the uh, people that come in, they ask that. And so it's like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but praise God, I went through that. Sure helps with those folks. Pastor Billy, my, my son, my daughter, my, my cousin, my whoever, whatever it is, uh, they got involved in drugs and they just can't get out of it and their lives are messed up. And they're, oh, okay, yeah, let's talk about that. I've been there, done that. Pastor Billy, just be with immorality and all this horrible stuff. And yeah, I've been there, let's do that. Pastor Billy, just living a worldly lifestyle. Well, they got involved in false teachings, so they don't, they, they're, they're a skeptic. They, they don't believe the Bible came from God. They don't listen to me. Oh, used to be one of those. Come on in. You know what I'm saying? All these variegated poiki loss that I went through even before Christ, God is using for the comfort of other people. Now, here's the neat thing. Did you realize that it didn't just happen to me? Thank you, Bobby. I was getting a little concerned there for a moment. And uh, uh, that who put all these mannequins in here? You tricked me. <laughs> but I made it through halfway through and I got it. No, uh, but yeah, it happens to all of us, Okay. And when you then do go through your trials, because your trials are going to be different. I mean, some of ours might be similar. But each one of us got our own little set, our own little poiki loss, deep fried southern dish trial. All right. And uh, so uh, guess what? That means that now not just what I've gone through, but now what you're going through, uh, we have a multitude of opportunities to minister to people. Now, here's the whole point. Uh, why is that important? Because have you ever ministered to somebody who's not been through what you've been through? Here, take these two scriptures and call me in the morning. All right, beats a sharp stick in the eye. At least you didn't try to help me out with self-help baloney and false teachings from secular psychology. I at least appreciate that. But there's something about somebody ministering to you who's been there. Like this guy, I love this story. There's a boy who had lost his right hand and he felt so badly about it that he didn't want to see anybody. And his father says, I'm going to bring the minister in to see you. And the boy says, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see anybody. But out of concern for his son, the father brought the minister in anyway. And when the minister had arrived, the boy looked up and noticed that the man had no right arm. And there was just an empty sleeve. So the minister came over to the boy and simply said this. He says, I haven't any hand either. I lost mine when I was a boy and I know how it feels. And because of this, it wasn't hard for the boy to get acquainted with the minister who knew how it felt. Now this is wild. When you, when you put the exponential numbers together, Listen, God's given me a whole bunch of poiki loss. Turn to somebody and say, hey, what's your poiki loss? Okay, it's a plural term, so there's going to be several. Okay, and you can talk about it later, not now. I've got some more to go before we finish up. Okay, and uh, what you're going to see is that God's given all of us different poiki loss, different trials that we've gone through, okay? And he comforts us in them, amen? 
All right, so that means not just me, but now every single body, even in this sanctuary right now, you've got your own poikilos, and they're different than mine, and yours is different than there, and there, and there, and there. So now you put all that together. Hey, just in this room alone, the potentiality to minister to all kinds of people out there with a comfort level that's been there, done that, I know how it feels. Now let me tell you how to get out of this mess. His name is Jesus. Isn't that amazing what God is up to? That he's actually increasing, if you think about it, Christian, us working together corporately, he's actually increasing our ability to minister to our world in his name. Wow. When you consider that, when you think forward to just that one, that's kind of, he gives you that constant joy, doesn't it? And that's just a couple of them. Okay, let's take a look at another one. Uh, well, first of all, let me, well, no, let's take a look at another one, then I'll bring you back to that. This is a whopper. Yeah, we'll do this one, one more. Uh, fourth one. To teach us, listen, that God is God. That's right. And we are not. That's right. Open your Bibles real quick to uh, Matthew 11. Okay. Believe it or not, this is a, a, a kind of an interesting passage here. Matthew 11. And this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist, was starting to crack, if you will. Okay. Wondering, wait a second, life isn't turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. Okay, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 11. Neat passage here. Says this, uh, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison, well, wait a second, now he's in prison? I mean, this is John. He was serving Jesus, man. What's he doing in prison? All right? Uh, what Christ was doing when he heard that. Uh, he sent his disciples to ask them, listen, John, the one who says, hey, this is the Lamb of God, the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. This is John. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Ooh. And then Jesus answered, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Uh, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. You know what John was doing there? I think John was starting to crack. And I think he was starting to crack because John assumed something. He assumed that his life should go a certain way. He assumed that because he was following the Messiah, preaching the Messiah, doing what God had called him to do, and he did give him a phenomenal ministry, he was the forerunner of the Messiah, the, the Messiah. And the next thing you know, he's serving God. He's not out there sinning. He's not out there being some unrighteous guy. He is doing exactly what God called him to do and he's in prison. And it's a good thing that we never make an assumption that life should go our way and that it has to go this way because surely it's always going to be peaches and cream because we're serving Jesus and there's never going to be any problem. And we're never going to question Jesus. Uh, are, 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 you, are you sure that I'm supposed to be going through this job, right? It's the same thing, okay? Let me go back to that uh, other analogy, okay? God knows what he's doing, okay? First of all, the scripture is very clear. During those times, John didn't have to crack. What did Jesus, if you saw that in the text, what did he tell John to do? He said, you simply just need to go back uh, to the scripture because what Jesus is quoting him was all signs of uh, prophecies pointing towards the Messiah. When the real Messiah, John, is he really, are you the, really the Messiah? I mean, I, I didn't think I'd be ending up in prison. And Jesus comes back and says, listen, guess what? The lame are, are, are being healed, the blind are seen, because that was all prophecy of what would happen when the actual Messiah would come. So he turned them back to that. Yeah, I, I am the guy. You, don't, you know, don't, don't stop trusting me. Don't fall away in that way, John. I am the one. Yeah, yeah, he's already out there to say this before. When he, that, that's what's so amazing by his statement here. He begins to crack. It's called trust him, okay? And I got a really good, one of my favorite trust stories. This is what we need to do. And John, sometimes we need to do this. There was this tourist that came too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon and lost his footing and plunged over the side. And he's clawing and he's scratching to save himself. And after he went out of sight, just before he fell into space, ah, he encountered this little scrubby bush and he desperately grabbed onto that baby, uh, the root sticking out there on the side of the wall of the Grand Canyon uh, with both hands. And so he's filled with terror and he called out towards heaven. He says, is anyone up there? And th this, this calm, powerful voice came out of the sky. Yes, there is. And so the tourist, he pleads, says, can you help me? Can you help me? And the calm voice replied, yes, I probably can. 
What is your problem? And of course, he was a game show host, and he talks like that. No matter. So he said, I fell over the cliff, and I'm dangling in space. I'm holding onto this bush. It's about to let go. Please help me. And so the voice from above says, I'll try. Do you believe? He says, yeah, yeah, I believe. And the voice says, do you have faith? He says, yeah, yeah, I got strong faith. And the, and the calm voice said, well, in that case, simply let loose of the bush, and everything will turn out fine. And there was a tense pause, and the tourist yelled, is anyone else up there? <laughs> right? We want to trust God uh, when we don't really need to demonstrate trust. But that's not really trust. And I really think that's what uh, uh, was going on here uh, with John. Okay, we simply need to trust God that he knows exactly what he's doing. I don't care how big the fire gets. He knows what he's doing. And he's got a good purpose through it all. Okay, and this is again uh, back with, and it's uh, uh, from Johnny Erickson Tata. And she talks about this, okay? She says, I'll give you two analogies and we'll close. She says, you're walking down the street, minding your own business when you're assaulted and forced to carry a huge and heavy basket on your back. You're ordered to walk three blocks, turn left, go two blocks, turn right, then proceed straight on. Staggering on the weight, you, you, you stumble and you're, you're bewildered and you're angry. And she said, the, the weight of the basket is crushing. Your, your back is breaking. The whole thing is meaningless and haphazard. And you, you start to resent how the heavy burden consumes you. And it, it becomes the focal point of your entire existence. And, and when you're halfway down the third block, you're, you're reeling under the burden. And you finally cry out and you say, what gives? And then the truth is revealed. The burden that you're carrying is your child. Uh, injured and unconscious. What? And on top of that, you discover you're not trudging through some meaningless haphazard rat maze, but to the most direct route to a hospital emergency room. Well, knowing that information, you, you straighten up, you, you inhale new vigor, your knees quit buckling, adrenaline uh, courses through your body, you got fresh energy, you quicken your pace, you move forward with a whole new attitude. Okay? So why the sudden change? Listen, she says, because the suffering you're going through involves a relationship. And not just any relationship, but one with your child. It is the love you have for your child that quickens your step and buoys your heart. Your relationship gives your burden meaning. Even your twisted path makes sense. You know where you're going. Your journey has a positive end, the hospital, and that instills hope. Now listen to this. She says suffering in and of itself has no meaning per se. Suffering has no meaning of itself. Left to its own, it's frustrating, it's a bewildering burden, but giving the context of a relationship, suddenly, suffering has meaning. Right? Well, can, can I translate that for you? you? We all are gonna have a burden on our back. Don't you, God, I think, will give us respites when we are burden-free for a little bit. Because he's more concerned about our character than our comfort. He's going to slap another burden on. We have to think forward. We have to consider. We have to know, gnosko, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that isn't a burden. That is something meaningful, something precious, and I'm on a mission from God. It's not by chance. You simply need to trust God. He knows what he's doing. How many times in the past does he have to demonstrate that he can and does and always does take care of us? How many times does he have to do that before we say, now in this one, and from this point forward, I'm always going to trust you. And, not, and, and when we reject that, you know what we're really saying? Is anybody else up there? He knows what he's doing. We'll close with this one. This is, this is one of my fa favorite. And as far as I know, this is a, uh, a, a true story. Uh, it says this. Uh, years ago, a fishing fleet went out from a small harbor on the east coast of Newfoundland. And in the, afternoon, in the afternoon, there came up a storm. Now, when the night settled down, not a single vessel of the fishing fleet had found its way back into the port. So all night long, the wives, the mother, the children, the sweethearts are pacing up and down the beach. They're wringing their hands. They're calling on God uh, to save their loved ones. <laughs> now, that was bad enough. Listen to this. To add to the horror of the situation, one of the cottages caught on fire. Okay. Since all the men were away, it was impossible to save the home. When morning broke, to the joy of all, though, the entire fleet found safe harbor in the bay. But there was one face that had a picture of despair. That was the wife of the man whose home had been destroyed. 
And so meeting her husband as he landed, she cried, Oh, husband, we are ruined. Our home and all that it contained was destroyed by the fire. Listen, the man exclaimed, Thank God for the fire. It was the light of our burning car. All fleet into port. You want to demonstrate that you're a true Christian? I'm not saying we're perfect at it. It's a learning process. But whatever trial you're going through right now, if you could say, thank God for that fire. Because I am considering, I am thinking forward, I am trusting God. I'm not asking if anybody else is up there. He's demonstrated so many times. Thank God for this trial. Because of that, something fantastic is happening, not only for me, but for the benefit of other people. And knowing that, here comes continual joy, exactly like James says a true Christian can have. Isn't that awesome? Let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime, 
they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.